evening. I bring you greetings from beautiful, beautiful Watertown, Wisconsin. It was 32 degrees when I left. So hot here. And uh, a bunch of your students that are at Maranatha that are part of Calvary, we certainly appreciate your pastor and his wife. And what a blessing it was to have them with us at Calvary and serving in various ministries. And it's been a blessing as well that we've had the opportunity to support the Pipers, I think, since day one also. And so it's just great to be with you. Thank you for hosting the Baptist World Mission Annual Meeting. I know you've done it in the past, and we certainly appreciate that so very much. If you'll take your Bible, please, and find the book of Jude in chapter number one. If you find chapter two, you're doing really well. But Jude, chapter number one, and uh, it's just great to be with you this evening. I trust that our time together will be an encouragement and a blessing. Jude, chapter one, I call our attention to verse number 20, where the, Lord, the, the word of God says this, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Verse number 22, I think, fits in well with your mission conference theme. And some have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Now... Unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You know, our world is in need of people who make a difference. I'm talking about people who make a difference in what goes on around them at school, at work, in the community, with our neighbors, here at church. Uh, People who make a difference in what is said around them. People who make a difference in what people think about when they're with them. People who make a difference with what people desire when they're with them or where people go when they're with them. It's almost as though we're back in Ezekiel's day where God's looking for someone that's willing to stand in the gap and to make a difference for Christ. Someone who's willing to simply be sold out for Christ. To say, God, here's my life. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll say whatever you want me to say. He's looking for someone who will demonstrate to the world what God can do through one person who is totally committed to Christ. And so we come to the book of Jude. Jude is dealing with apostasy in the last days, specifically verses 3 and 4. We see that taking place all around us. And as he's dealing with that, he says we need to show compassion We need to show kindness. We need to show mercy. We need to be of benefit or assistance to others, but especially to those who are experiencing difficulty from the ever-present apostates. One commentator said we must have mercy for the victims of this evil influence. 
Another commentator said, we ought to do all that we can to rescue others out of the snare of the devil and thus make a difference and have an impact in their lives. I think that you have an opportunity to make a difference. You, as a person. How many did it take to help the victims who got mugged on the Jericho Road? Just one, the Good Samaritan. How many were chosen by God to step up to the plate and confront Pharaoh and lead the Exodus? Just one. His name is Moses. How many sheep got lost and became the all-important object of concern to the shepherd? Just one. How many were needed to confront adulterous David and bring him to his knees in full repentance? Just one. Nathan the prophet. How many prophets were called to stand before wicked King Ahab and predict the drought? Just one. Elijah. How many did the Lord use to get the attention of the land of Palestine and prepare the way for the Messiah? Just one. John the Baptist. How many became burdened about the absence of the wall around the ancient city of Jerusalem and then played a a major role in seeing that wall rebuilt? Just one. Nehemiah. I think that Edward Everett Hale's words still live on. I'm only one, but still I'm one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. You see, I submit to us this evening that we ought to, we want to, I hope every one of us here this evening would say, I really want to make a difference in the world that goes on around me. That each one of us can and want and will simply do what we can do to show compassion to our world tonight. You can make a difference. Yeah, you, to you, can make a difference to do your part. And so I thought it would be beneficial for us this evening to look at four men in the Bible who made a tremendous difference in the world that went on around them, and then ask and try to answer the question, what was it that caused them to make such a difference? You know, we like to look at people for examples, we like to look at people Uh, They were kind of motivated when we see some people that are heroes. Ultimately, our our hero is the Lord Jesus Christ. But what about four people in the Bible who made a tremendous difference? So what was it that caused them to make such a difference? And so the first person I call our attention to is a fellow by the name of Daniel. You'll remember Daniel. He's the young boy that was carried into captivity, probably about 17 years old, like some of you teenagers. He's the fellow who exercised some tremendous self-control. 
Daniel's the fellow who interpreted dreams. Remember when, when Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of this image and nobody else could figure out what it was. Daniel was the one they called upon. Daniel was the one when there was the writing on the wall. In fact, you remember that as they're explaining this, uh, the king stands up and, and that there's, this hand is writing on the plaster on the, on the wall. And the Bible tells us how the king's knees are knocking together. And he calls in all of his wise men, his soothsayers, his astrologers, and nobody knows what it is. And finally, it's the king's mom who stands up and says, oh, there was a fellow in your dad's kingdom. His name is Daniel. Call for him. You can almost picture it. Every eye is on Daniel as he slowly walks down the aisle and he comes to the front. He begins to explain to the king that his days were numbered. Remember from history that it was that very night that the Medo-Persian Empire took over the, ki the kingdom. Daniel, a man of prayer. Remember they signed the, the, the document, nobody's supposed to pray. What did Daniel do? He went as he had done aforetime, the scripture says. He got down on his knees and he prayed. It was Daniel who was cast into the lion's den. The king spends the night kind of basically pacing back and forth. Finally, he comes to the den of lions and he says, Daniel, you know, are you okay? And Daniel said, yeah, my God's able to deliver me. That's Daniel. We follow him and now he becomes an octogenarian. All right, he's in his 80s. He holds positions of high authority under two separate governments. You say, well, what was it that caused Daniel to make such a difference? Well, if you were to go to Daniel chapter 1, you would see what it was that caused Daniel to make such a difference. The Bible says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem, and he besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand, in part with the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God, and the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain children of Israel and of the king's seed and of princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored, skillful in wisdom, cunning in knowledge and understanding, and such as had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and tongue of the Chaldeans. I'm like you teenagers. It's like you all. Verse 5 says, The king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. And so we get to verse number 8, and he simply says this, But Daniel, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. You say, what was it that caused Daniel to make such a difference? It was simply this. Daniel had captured an incredible truth. And that is, he knew there was a purpose for his life. And that grabbed a hold of him. 
You see, you never know real purpose until you come to know Christ as your Savior. But when you put your faith and trust and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, now you know you have a purpose in life. Whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, we do all to the glory of God. We oftentimes will ask someone, what is my purpose in life? And of course they respond back, you know, my purpose in life is to glorify God. And then we ask the next question, so what does that mean? Uh, means to give other people the right opinion of God. means to boast about God. And you look at Daniel's life, and all of a sudden, he has got this purpose now. He knows that he's been put on planet Earth to bring glory to God. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 and verse number 12 that we should be to the praise of his glory. Revelation 4 and verse number 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. For by Him were all things created, Colossians 1 and verse 16, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. Folks, you have a purpose for your existence. That is to glorify God, to give other people the right opinion of God. I was pastoring in Michigan. We were out in the country in a, in a big metropolis of 400 people on a gravel road. Wisconsin doesn't know about gravel roads, but anyhow, we had a gravel road. And uh, one day I got a phone call. It was one of the mothers in our church. And she said this to me. She said, Pastor, could you go up to the hospital? Our daughter's in the hospital. I said, sure. What's up? She goes, you'll find out when you get there. So my wife Pam and I got in the car. We drove to the hospital. It was about 20 miles away, 15, 20 miles away. Remember, we walked into the room, and there was a young girl from our church, 14 years old. She could sit down and beautifully play the piano. She could be in the orchestra and play play her flute. She was excellent on sports. And so I walked up to her, and I I called her by name, and I said, hey, what's up? What happened? She looked at me, and she goes, Pastor, I I tried to kill myself. I said, you what? She said, I I, I tried to commit suicide. I said, why? Why would you do that? She looked at me, and she said, what's my purpose for living? I said that you should be to the praise of God's glory. That whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, you do all to glorify God. And it was like all of a sudden the light turned on in her life. Oh, I've got a reason for my existence. Yeah. Everything we do is about glorifying God. When you play the piano, it's to glorify God. When you play your flute, it's to glorify God. When you're on that volleyball court, it's to glorify God. When you're on the basketball court, it's to glorify God. When you're on that softball diamond, it's to glorify God. When you're in history and science and math and all of those classes, it's all about glorifying God. And Daniel grabbed that purpose. He understood that I have been put on planet Earth and you have been put on planet Earth and I have been put on planet Earth. To glorify God. And he made a difference. I call your attention to a second person. His name is Joseph. 
Now, Joseph, how did he make a difference? Well, he had many divine dreams. You remember, his dad made him a coat of many colors. All right? One day his dad says to him, after Joseph had some dreams, his, dad, his brothers are kind of upset with him. And his dad says to him, he says, Joseph, I want you to go check out, check out your brothers. Now, I kind of think in multicolor, okay? So I'm thinking Joseph goes over to the closet, he puts on this coat of many colors. His dad's pretty wealthy, so he goes and he grabs the keys to his Corvette. That's all in the Hebrew. And, and he, he's driving out there, and, and his brothers see him coming. And they say, hey, here comes this dreamer. And what do they do? They put him in the ditch, and some guys come along, and they sell him. Now listen, I have three brothers and two sisters. They never sold me. All right? There he is down, and then he's, he's there, and things seem to be going pretty well, and, and then some false accusations are made against him. And now... He just keeps doing what he ought to do. And we follow along, and Joseph becomes the second in command in Egypt. And he saves his family, and he saves his nation from starvation. And then after his dad passes away, his brothers are pretty fearful. And he says, hey, guys, I'm your brother. I love you. Yeah, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And Joseph, he becomes an incredible servant of God. You say, well, what was it that caused Joseph to make such a difference? He knew he had a purpose in life. And that purpose was to glorify God. And he understood that if he's going to fulfill that purpose of glorifying God... He had to stay pure. He had to say no to sin and yes to God. For you remember in Genesis chapter 39, it came to pass as she, that's Potiphar's wife, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, she's trying to entice him. He hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. It came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the the men of the house there within. And she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand, and he fled, and he got him out. And we go back a few verses, and he makes this comment. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, Joseph knew he had this purpose, and that purpose was to bring glory to God. And when you know that purpose, then you want to live a life of purity. You want to say no to sin and yes to God. The Bible says in Matthew 5 and verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart. Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, he said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 22, Lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins, Keep thyself pure. You see, if we're going to have compassion on the victims of the evil influence that is penetrating our world today, then we must know our purpose is to glorify God. 
But folks, we have to take a stand and say no to sin and yes to God. Now, sin is fun. The Bible talks about that, the pleasures of sin. But it always carries a heavy price tag. And so we say no to sin. We say yes to God. We must keep ourselves pure. Which leads me to a third individual, and that's a fellow by the name of Joshua. Joshua's a servant to Moses. We might call him Moses' gopher. Because wherever Joshua, you know, Moses say, Joshua, go for this and go for that. He did that. He becomes a soldier of the Lord. He's one of the 12 men that are sent in to spy out the land. Remember, they're bringing the, uh, they're bringing the report back, and, and you know, Joshua says, look at this place. And this is great. Look at the size of these grapes. I mean, let's go get the land. It's ours. Let's have at it. Caleb's right there with him. The rest of the 10 guys are like, no, we can't go there. There's giants in the land. People listen to those 10. They spend the next 40 years wandering around. They're all gone. And it's Joshua who leads the children of Israel into the promised land. He saw the Jordan River open. He saw the walls of Jericho fall down. He's dividing up the land. And don't you love that part? He's dividing up the land, and he points, and pretty soon Caleb comes. And Caleb's just 85, so he's a youngster. And, and Joshua says, Caleb, what do you want? And he says, you see that mountain over there? Yeah, I want it. Don't you love an old person like that? Man, you know, give it to me. I don't want to sit in my rocking chair. I want to go. Give me that mountain. And you look at the life of Joshua, and you say, what was it that made Joshua to have such a difference, to become such a leader for God? He knew his purpose, to bring glory to God. He stayed pure. When the ten men said, we can't do it, Joshua says, no, God told us to do it. Let's go conquer it for God. You say, well, how did he stay pure? Joshua stayed pure through the power of the word of God. Joshua chapter 1, verse number 7. Moses said, Joshua, only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. And then God says this to him. He says, Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. And then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. And Joshua made a difference. Because he knew his purpose was to glorify God. He stayed pure by saying no to sin and yes to God. And he knew the power of being able to do that by the word of God. You see, the word of God is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. It's a discerner of our very thoughts and intents of our heart. Paul said to the church at Ephesus, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's why we memorize Scripture. That's why we meditate on Scripture. You see, there's no way that we can stay pure without the power of God's Word. 
Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And whether we be a pastor, whether we be a missionary, whether we be a high school student, whether we be working in the factory, whether we're in the office, whether we're in the house, wherever we might be, whoever we might find ourselves tonight, God has got a purpose for your life. And you've been put on planet earth to bring glory to God. And the way you do that is to say no to sin and yes to God, and it's a life of purity. And the only way we stay pure is through the power of God's word. And when we're in God's word, it leads me to the fourth person. His name is Paul. How did Paul make such a difference? Well, first of all, we're introduced to him as Saul, and then his name is changed to Paul. But he's the apostle to the Gentiles. That's us, okay? I mean, he brought the word of God to us. He's a writer of some 13 books of the New Testament. He's the man that went out on three major missionary journeys. You say, well, what was it that caused Paul to make such a difference? Well, on that road to Damascus, when he came to know Christ as his Savior, all of a sudden now his whole life's got a different choice. And that is he's got a purpose now. He knows that I've been put on planet Earth to bring glory to God. He knows that. That's captivated him. And so he stays pure. He says no to sin. And he stays close to Christ. He says yes to Christ. And he knows the power of the word of God. I find it fascinating to me, as you read through the books that Paul wrote in the New Testament, how often he quotes Old Testament scripture. I mean, it's like over and over and over and over again. I remember the first time, teenagers, that I read, I actually had a Bible that had all of these quotes in the New Testament, and it showed like in parentheses next to those quotes where they came from the Old Testament. And I'm like, wow, this guy must have the whole Old Testament memorized. You know, he's got it. And what happened was this. When you know your purpose, and you stay pure, and you're in the power of the Word of God, then God develops within us a passion to reach people with the gospel. You can't help it. It's just there. There's just a passion. We read the writings of Paul. He says in Romans chapter 9 and verse number 1, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have a great heaviness, a continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. We say, whoa, wait a minute, Paul. You understand what you're saying? You could wish that you yourself were a curse from Christ for your brethren, your kinsmen according to the flesh? He said, I I say the truth in Christ. He said, I lie not. My conscience also bears me witness. We get into the next chapter in Romans chapter 10. He says, brethren, my heart's desire... My prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. I bear them record. They have a zeal of God. They've they've got religion, but not according to knowledge. Brethren, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for Watertown, Wisconsin is that they might be saved. At one point, we had more churches per capita than any other city in the United States. 
We also had more bars per capita than any of those cities in the United States. Can you say, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God, plug your name in there, your city, Is that your desire? I bear them record they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness. Baptism, communion, confirmation, church membership have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Paul, he said to the church at Corinth, he said, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, our Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And he says, we have this treasure. We've got this gospel treasure. In earthen vessels, that's us, clay pots. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That's what it is. And when you know your purpose in life and you stay pure and you're in the power of the word of God, you're reading the Bible, memorizing the Bible, incorporating it into your life, God will put within us a passion to reach others with the gospel. Here at home and around the world. Paul said, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me. If I preach not the gospel, he says, I just can't help it. I have got to tell people about Christ. Here in Alabama, here in the United States, in New Zealand, in Albania, in Germany, and all across our world, people are in desperate need of God. And we have this treasure. We have a doctor in our church. For 40 years, he served at the Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit. So Dr. Mike and I were talking the other day, and I said to him, I said, Dr. Mike, if you had the cure to all forms of cancer, what would you do? He's a cancer specialist. He said, well, Pastor Bob, I'd start going around telling everybody. I said, can I use you as an illustration next Sunday? He said, sure. And so I started picking out people in our congregation who right now have cancer. All right? A lady who just had some major surgery last week. Another lady who just lost all of her hair because of the because of, of the chemo. And, and I looked at the one lady who lost her hair. Her husband was the one who run, ran, runs our sound system. And I said to her husband, I said, what would you think of Dr. Mike if he had the cure to cancer and he wouldn't share that with you? 
I don't know, a church this size, you probably have got some folks here who've got cancer. What would you think? Dr. Mike looks at me and he goes, man, Pastor, he says, I'd have to tell everybody. He said, I'd be on all of the news stations. I'd be everywhere telling them about that. Folks, we have this treasure called the gospel. And people need Christ. And so when we grab our purpose in life, and we stay pure, and we get into the power of the word of God, God develops within us a passion to reach people with the gospel. And so I submit to you tonight, whoever you are, you can make a difference. Just one person, you can make a difference. If you know it, join with me. Give me a passion for souls, dear Lord, a passion to save the lost. Oh, that thy love were by all adored and welcomed at any cost. Jesus, I long, I long to be winning men who are lost and constantly sinning. Oh, may this hour be one of beginning the story of pardon to tell. Father, would you do that work in our hearts? Would you help us to catch the fact that we have a purpose and we're to bring glory to you? God, would you keep us pure? Would you clean our hearts? Would you help us to know the power of your word? And as we think of having compassion, would you put within us a passion to reach people with the gospel? Here in Huntsville, as well as around the world. Our heads are bowed, please, our eyes are closed. I ask you a couple important questions tonight. If I were to take the Bible and come to you and hand it to you and ask you to show me from the Bible how you know you'll spend eternity in heaven, what would you do? Maybe tonight in the quietness of this moment you would look at me and you'd say, you know, Pastor, I I don't know. I mean, if you handed the Bible to me and said, show me from the Bible how you know I know I'm going to go to heaven, I, I really don't know. But I need to know, and I want to know. And I'd like to have somebody sit down with me and show me from the Bible how I can go to heaven. If that's the need in your heart tonight, would you just quietly raise your hand? I'd like to pray for you. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I will pray for you. And we'll give you a chance to talk to somebody. You say, Pastor, that's me. Just quietly slip that hand up, would you please? As a Christian tonight, are you willing to make a difference? Have you grabbed a hold of your purpose? Are you staying pure? Are you in the Word of God and reading it, studying it, memorizing it, meditating on it? Do you have a passion to reach your neighbor, your husband, your wife, your children, your parents? 
to have a passion to reach people all across our world with the gospel. Maybe in the quietness of this moment, you'd say, Pastor, would you pray for me? God has worked in my heart. I need to make a difference. I can make a difference. And there's some specific decisions I need to make tonight so that I will make a difference. I'm only one, but I am one. And I can make a difference for God. Please pray for me. If that's a need tonight, would you just quietly slip your hand up, please? God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Father, you see hands and you know our hearts. And so, Lord, we ask for you tonight to do what only you can do so that we might make a difference in a world that has gone apostate with our compassion for you and our compassion for the lost. In Christ's name, amen. I'd like for us to stand to our feet here with the invitation, I have decided to follow Jesus. And if God's spoken to your heart tonight, you raise your hand and you'd like to come and pray, we'll give you an opportunity this evening to come and pray here at the, at the front steps or the front pew or there where you're uh, in the pew. And uh, let's just take an, uh, an opportunity as she plays, I have decided to follow Jesus. If God's worked in your heart, you respond as the Lord leads. with me I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to just remind all those parents that their children are in the choir room uh, if you could make sure as we close in prayer after the prayer you go by and get those we don't want to keep them for tomorrow night but you can bring them back tomorrow night uh, for the service tomorrow evening at, at seven o'clock and uh, encourage you to be back uh, this week plan ahead of time and uh, be in prayer for the meetings tomorrow and uh, throughout the week here let's go to the lord in prayer father thank you for the time we can be in your word today this sunday and for the opening meetings of our conference here. Lord, there are others that will be traveling in tomorrow and be joining with us throughout the week. 
And Lord, I pray that you would give them safety. Lord, the the messages that we heard today about compassion upon those around us are parked both financially, prayerfully, and um, our, our treasure that we have with the gospel to go to those who we come in contact with on a regular basis and that we see throughout the week that we would be active in sharing Jesus and glorifying your name. Uh, Bless us this evening in our fellowship and uh, bring us back safely tomorrow. Uh, Thank you for this opportunity to rub shoulders with these missionaries. Would be be an encouragement to them as they have been to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow evening.